It is a joy to be with you all this morning. We are going to share, um, for the fourth week in a row, this little section uh, to the church in Colossae. Uh, Paul is writing uh, that it is possible, and, and I want you to know this, it is possible for you to know the voice of God and the will of God. And it's important that we learn how to do this together. Let's share in God's good word. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from His glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, hello there, Bruce Almighty. <laughs> Not as easy as it looks, is it, son? This God business. They're all out of control. It's mayhem. I, I don't know what to do. Well, you're right on time. Seven o'clock. Seventh at seven. All righty then. There we are. It's good. It's good. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. No matter how filthy something gets, you can always clean it right up. There were so many. I just gave them all what they wanted. Yeah. But since when does anyone have a clue about what they want? So do I do. Parting your soup is not a miracle, Bruce. It's a magic trick. A single mom who's working two jobs and still finds time to take her kid to soccer practice, that's a miracle. A teenager who says no to drugs and yes to an education, that's a miracle. People want me to do everything for them, and what they don't realize is they have the power. You want to see a miracle, son? Be the miracle. Working with God. Working with God means giving up control. Rolling up our sleeves. Grabbing a mop. Around here we say ministry is messy. Amen? Ministry is messy. It's a wonderful thing that no matter how filthy something gets, God is still inviting us to help clean it up. My name is Mark Foster. I'm founding senior pastor here, and I want to invite you to be a part of what God is doing right now in the world. You want to see a miracle? Be a miracle. You have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you to bring heaven to earth, to make things right, the crooked places straight, to lift up the brokenhearted and the hurting. You see, friends, the problem is not with God. It is with us. God is always more ready to hear than we are even to pray. 
Now, the Christian church says Christ is risen, and Christ is risen indeed, but Christ is risen means that we are people of reconciliation, not of division. We are people who heal, not hurt. We are people of forgiveness, not of revenge. People of love, not of hate. People of life, not of death. That's what Jesus means when he says, thy will be done. All of these things come, Lord God, our Father. So when it comes time to act, we must act. But as Jonah has been showing us over these last numbers of weeks, it is much easier said than done, isn't it? So if you'll take your sermon notes out, we will get started. And we'll talk about thy will be done. Now, it comes from the Lord's Prayer, of course, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's Jesus saying the same thing twice. I think he says it twice because we have a really hard time listening. We have a really hard time living these things out. Uh, So if you have your sermon notes out, um, know, first of all, that that God is speaking. And uh, as as God spoke to Jonah, uh, you'll see here this little map. This is um, the world as they knew it um, in Jonah's time. You'll see that little city there named Joppa. And so God says, go to that great city, Nineveh, uh, which is only 550 miles. Uh, It's a land trip east. And uh, the problem is that Nineveh is the capital city of the people who had enslaved Jonah's people. In 722 BC, um, the Assyrian army had come in from what would be modern-day Syria uh, into what would be northern-day Israel today and took over their people. Uh, They took their artisans and their uh, their leadership, and they took them away and basically left northern Israel a wasteland. And they enslaved them, and they killed them, and they hurt them. And God says to this great... Uh, prophet of his, a celebrity in his time. I want you to go back to those people who 300 years earlier or so had really ruined everything that you knew. And I want you to go tell them that if they they don't stop this bloodshed, if they don't stop this violence, then that's going to be the end of them. They need to turn from their wicked ways. And so what does the great prophet of Jonah do, of course, but get on a ship and go five times the other way towards Tarshish, right? He, He wants to go on a ship over the sea, away, as far away from what God wants him to do as possible. I have a feeling Jonah's not the only one that that's ever happened to. God ever called you to something that you didn't want to do? Make up with your husband when all he does is sit there in that lazy boy? They call it a lazy boy for a reason, you know. It's not a worker boy chair. It's a lazy boy chair, you know. Reconcile with a parent who wasn't there for you when you needed them. Forgive a boss that fired you unjustly. There's all sorts of things that our God wants us to do for our good and the good of the world that we don't want to do. We don't want to do it. Oh, we don't want to do it. But God is still speaking. So, Jonah is lifted up as a self-portrait, friends. And so he gets on a ship and he goes to the very bottom of the ship because he's trying to hide from God. He pulls the covers over his head. He's like, no, 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 no. I just want to go to Tarshish. Of course, he gets figured out and the other sailors, a big storm comes up. God provides the storm to get Jonah where he wants him to go. The other uh, guys, they throw him overboard and what do you know? Calm seas. And God provides a fish. Notice that it's God who provides the fish, a very big fish. And he swallows him. He takes him even lower. And Jonah is such a nasty little character that this fish can't even stomach him, so he throws him up. 
right back where you started. It gets into second chance. We, oftentimes, we romanticize second chances, don't we? But so t- often, second chances are just gross. You know, it, you're, you're trying to do what you couldn't do the first time, only you're more tired, you're more wet, and you got fish guts all over you. And God says, try again. And you're like, but I'm not even as good as I was the last time you asked me. And God's like, it's okay. I got you. This isn't about your strength anyway. It's about me working in you and getting where I'm calling you to be. And so he calls him again a second time. Yes, friends, God is speaking. Say that with me. God is speaking. And if you're not hearing God these days, more than likely, it's because you don't want to. That's just the truth of it. God is speaking all the time. God is speaking to you in sunrises and sunsets. I prefer sunsets. Um, God is speaking in trees and in oceans and in friends and in family and in circumstances and in patterns. The first week we talked about patterns and I, I had a congregant let me know that they had been trying to adopt a child from China um, and it wasn't going well and they were really struggling and they were over on Bryant at a stoplight. You know, you know Bryant where the stoplights never change? They're always red and you, like, you sit there and then you sit there some more and you're looking at your watch like this has got to be broken. And, 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 and they said to me that this old beater van kind of went up in front of them and it, it probably belonged to a Vietnam veteran. And their whole back of the van was just covered with Vietnam this and Vietnam that and Vietnam this and Vietnam that. And they, rather than being frustrated at the light, they, they came to sense that God was calling them to withdraw their adoption papers from China and put them in to Vietnam. And without, within 48 hours, they received their daughter, who is now a member of our church. It's a great, great thing. God is speaking. Sometimes through bumper stickers. Sometimes not through bumper stickers. (laughs) But God is speaking. And this is so important, friends, because what's so easy to forget is that you are becoming the person you will be forever. You really are. We all are. We're becoming the people we're going to be forever. And that soul is going to live for all eternity. For all eternity. Last week, we talked about this human condition. It's true for all of us that when we stand on this side of the elevator and we want on, we so desperately want that elevator to open and be what? Empty. (laughs) Or at least with just a few people that will invite us in. That's our deep desire. We don't want to haul 10 flights up. We just want to get on the elevator. And so we do. Lo and behold, an elevator comes and there's only one or two people or it's empty. And then we get in and the doors close. And, and instead of going all the way to 10, it only goes to 3, 5, and 7. And then maybe it's going to get to 10. And the door opens at 3. And somebody gets on. And it opens at 5. And somebody gets on. And before the doors open at level 7, what are you thinking? I hope nobody's on the other side of that door. They better not try to get in this elevator. It's mine now. I've been on here for five floors. Like that, within seconds. We can go from somebody who so desperately wants and needs an invitation to a person who doesn't want to extend the same invitation we longed for less than a minute ago. It's just a part of who we are, how we're made. And if we're not careful, we will become that person forever. Gracious to ourselves and to those we love and harsh to anyone that we do not know well. It's just part of how the world is. And so I'm haunted by this question that Henry Nouwen asked in his book on discernment. He says, did becoming older bring me closer to Jesus? Man, that's a good question. 
And the tragedy is, is often I will meet people that said, you know, I was really close to Jesus when I went to summer camp when I was 16. I'm like, you're 80. Grow a little bit. You've had some time. I mean, this is, this is the question. As we get older, are we getting closer to Jesus? That's the goal. That we are to become more and more like our master. And sometimes that can be difficult. It can be really difficult. And so the Bible gives us Jonah as a warning. As a way to say this is the way this goes. If, if you don't work against it. If you don't have something greater in your life than just your own humanity. So we look at Jonah as a self-portrait. We pick it up in the final chapter. This is the close of this sermon series. Um, and I love sharing the story because it's an important one for all of us. And it's placed right there at the end of the Old Testament so that we understand that God's covenant is bigger than one people at one time. It now encompasses all people for all time. And so the story finishes up like this. It says, when God saw what they did, the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil ways, they really did it. God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said that he would bring upon them. And he didn't do it. But this was very, what? Displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry. You've been angry at God? Hmm. Does weird things to your life when you get angry with God. I mean, he's okay, trust me. But, uh, man, it changes us when we get angry with God. Because here's the thing about God. God is kind and generous. Say that with me. God is kind and generous. To people on both sides of the elevator. Question is, are you? Are we? Because we want this for us, but not for them. That's what Jonah says, right? He wants God's blessings for himself and for his people, for the chosen people, but he doesn't want it for the Ninevites. He just doesn't. So this is Jonah. These are the actual words of Jonah. God is gracious. Why don't you just read this with me? This is so good. Jonah says, God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. Is that true? Yes, absolutely true. This is who God is. He knows God. He knows his character. Praise the Lord. And, and so, uh, because he knows this, he's going to say a beautiful prayer, we think. So he prayed to the Lord and said, oh God, oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country when you asked me the first time? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. I knew that's what you would do. So I didn't want anything of it. I didn't want to be a part of it. Not for them, not for those people. So this is also Jonah. Oh Lord, please take my life for it's better for me to die than to watch you be nice to them. You ever had a, a child in your life that wanted you to cancel their birthday party because you had invited someone they didn't want at their party? Well, that's really what this is. God's ready to give you the biggest party that all of eternity. And there's some of us who still say, I'll pass if they're there. And God allows that. Wow, how he loves us. How he allows us to make our choices. And so, so Jonah says this. He says, and now, oh Lord, please take my life. I'd rather be dead. I really would. I'd rather be dead. And so the Lord responds, um, as most parents would respond. Really? You don't want the party? Is it right for you to be angry? I mean, really, is it, is it right for you to be angry? He asks Jonah. And he asks you, whatever you're angry about, whatever it is. And, and God's asking, really? 
you're angry. And so in the story, what, what Jonah does is he goes outside the city and he waits to see what God will do. I, I think what he's hoping for is another Sodom and Gomorrah thing where, you know, and so he goes outside the city. He's waiting like, is he going to do it? I really hope he does it. I really hate those people. I hope they get it. Ooh, they're going to get it. Guess what? They don't get it because God blesses them. So that's what the scripture says. Jonah goes outside the city, sits down east of the city, and he makes this little lean-to, this little booth, this little thing for himself. And, and he sat under in the shade waiting to see what would become of the city. Uh, apparently, he wasn't very good at it because God needed to provide a plant to provide him more shade because apparently his lean-tos weren't too handy. He, uh, like most theological folks my, like myself, we're not very good with our hands. Craftsmanship is not one of our spiritual gifts. Um, we're, we're more theologian kind of folks. So um, God has to provide him a little plant to grow up and go over his head and, and give him a little shade because he's uncomfortable. And that's what the scripture says, that the Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. He might have been balding, get a little sunburn. Now, isn't this interesting? Even though Jonah has been off page all along through the whole story, and we're almost at the end of the story, and he's outside the city pouting because God didn't wipe him out. God gives him a little plant. Now, how sweet is our God that he's going to provide him a plant to keep him from a sunburn on his little bald head? Because that's just who God is. He loves him that much, even though he is being a toot. And he, 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 so he does it. And, of course, Jonah's very happy about the bush. <laughs> oh, my gosh, could this guy be any worse? He's like, oh, thank you for the plant. I'm happy now because I got a little shade. Hmm. Have you ever had something in your life that made you happy, that you didn't do anything for? I want you to think about this. What, what do you have in your life, or have you ever had in your life, that you didn't, you didn't work for it? You didn't grow it? You didn't earn it. I mean, I suppose in this room, some people have been given a car. When they were a teenager, they grew up, their, their parents just out of their love for them and hoping that they would carpool the younger children, gave them a vehicle. Others of you, of you have inherited family money. Others of you have inherited land. Others of you have mineral rights to oil that you did not make. Um, and have profited off of that. Others of us have been given good health, or good gene pool, or good education. I once had a professor tell me that any of us, uh, and my, here's the thing, 85% of the folks in this room have a graduate degree, um, a college degree, or graduate degree, or postgraduate degree. And, and my uh, moral theology professor uh, basically stopped us all and said, you know, every attorney, every physician, Every person with a graduate degree should have to serve at least three years pro bono because none of us, and he was very clear about this and laid it out for us, none of us could ever afford the education we've received by the tax dollars and private donations of other people. All the books that you've read in libraries, every buildings you've sat in, every professor that you could never afford to hire yourself. The education that we have in this room is in the tens of billions of dollars none of which we could ever afford. Now, granted, some of us are still in debt about what we did have to pay. But if any person ever had to actually pay the actual cost 
of the gifts you've been given, you could never repay it in your lifetime. None of us. So what do you have in, in your life? It's just a gift. It's just sheer gift. Sometimes we don't like to think about that because we've been given so much, so much. The scripture says, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the bush so that it withered. God's funny like that, isn't he? Oh, you like the bush? Watch this. So the sun rose as it always does. And God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah again so that he was faint and asked that he might die. Now you'll notice this isn't the first time that Jonah's asked to die. He's now in a pattern. This is now his habitual life story. Have you ever met somebody like that? How are you doing today? Oh, terrible. I just want to die. And, and the first time you hear that, you think, hmm, that's dramatic. The second time you hear that, you go, man, that sounds like a problem. The third time you hear it, you call 911 because you're worried, right? You, you send somebody to their home because they may be serious about it and they need help. That's what Jonah says. He says, it's better for me to die than to live because you took away my plant. You took away my plant. So when the plant dies, Jonah asks the second time to die. And what does God say the second time? Same thing. Is it right for you to be angry? Now, you'll notice that God's voice is direct and it doesn't argue. He simply says the same thing. Go to Nineveh. Why are you angry? Go to Nineveh. Why are you angry? It's very consistent. And so these recurring thoughts that you have in your mind to bless people and to be in the will of God, that is God. That is God. So God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? <laughs> and what does Jonah say? Read it with me. Yes, angry enough to die. Huh. Have you ever had something taken away from you that was just given to you in the first place? How'd you feel about that? Any of y'all in the stock market? Boy, we are smart investors when it goes up. And it is terrible government when it goes down. Right? Terrible things. We get so angry about profits that we didn't do anything to earn them in the first place. They just went up. But when they go down, mm -mm -mm, angry enough to die. So Jonah responds a third time. Yes, angry enough to die. Enough of this. Now I want you to notice that through this story, Jonah has now habituated his life to go against God and to be angry about the things God's doing to bless others. C.S. Lewis actually has an important word to us about this. He says that ultimately there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. He loves you that much. He will let you choose. Even if that choice is not to be with him. By the way, where God is not, that's hell. And he says, all that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will miss it. If you want to be a part of the party, if you want to be a part of the joy of the Lord, you're not, you don't have to worry about hell ever. Because if your mind is set on the things above, as we're told to do in Colossians 3, you don't have to worry about hell at all. You're already in the kingdom life. Those who seek, find, Jesus says. Those who knock, it is opened. 
So listen to what God says back to Jonah. He says, he says you're concerned about the bush, Jonah. You, you are concerned. Your main concern in this life is about your own pleasure, about your own comfort, about whether or not you get a sunburn on your little bald head. That's what you're concerned about, Jonah. For which you did not labor and which you did not grow, it came into being in a night and perished in a night. That's what you're worried about. That's what the Lord says. And that's not unique to Jonah. What are you concerned with? What's your thought life go to? And God says, so that's what you're concerned with. And then he says, but should I not be concerned about Nineveh? This is what God's concerned about. Every one of his kids all around the world, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons, and you're worried about the bush. Come on. These people, they don't know their right hand from their left, and there's also many animals. Now, now this is what we have to understand, friends, that God is concerned with every creature in the universe. Kitty cats, donkeys, dogs, llamas, alpacas, you name it. God loves them all. God loves every person you will ever meet, every animal you will ever meet. This is amazing. You've got to understand, this is written in about 400 B.C. where they thought they were the only ones people, only people God cared about. And God says, no, no. I care about all my children all around the world, and I even care about their animals. And Jonah's worried about the bush. What are you worried about? If someone looked at your life, What would they say is your primary concern of your life? You see, if we're not careful, it's going to be about our own pleasure. It's going to be about our own comfort. Meanwhile, people across the street or across town or across our nation or across the world are hurting and dying. And God says, I care about them. Will you care about them with me? Jesus, our Savior, says, I I care enough to die on the cross for all my kids. God so loved the world. And if we're not careful, we're going to say, no. I care about my 401k. I care about my house. I care about my neighborhood. I care about air conditioning. I care about heat. I care about the things I care about. I don't care about your kids. I don't care about the world. I don't care about other people. I care about my kids and their school and my home and my comfort. Isn't that true? Isn't, isn't that not true for all of us? We have to fight desperately for our very souls around this issue. And that's why you have an entire book of the Bible to give us that warning. So we have to ask ourselves a question as a church, individually, of course, but also all the individuals make up our church. And so our church, as I see it, a lot of people are concerned about the United Methodist Church as a whole. Um, and, and there's some reasons for that. But I want to remind you about what we're about here. In 1998, when we started the church, uh, I came across this description of what church could be. It goes like this. It actually happened. A community of believers decided together that they would live their lives radically devoted to God. 95% devotion wasn't enough. They determined to submit fully and follow God in every way. They agreed to love one another irrationally, meeting each other's needs, making sure no brother or sister lived without. They took off their masks so they could know and be known. Passionately concerned about those outside the family of God, they reached out to lost people regardless of the consequences. They prayed fervently that they would have the boldness to proclaim the gospel even if it cost them their lives. And they looked not to the leadership of a man or a woman, but to the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. 
And every day, they and their leaders ask, what would the Spirit want us to do? What new thing will the Holy Spirit unfold before us today? And with the Holy Spirit in charge, they worship God continually. And they honored Him by using their spiritual gifts. Everyone played a critical role. Everyone was important. Acts chapter 2. I preached that our very first sermon, the very first service here in 1999. We've been trying to live into that ever since, the last 21 years. That's where we're headed the next 21 years, into this vision. That's who we're called to be. And here's the most important part. We're convinced it can still happen today. Amen? That's who God's calling the church to be. An unshakable kingdom. Something that the world does not and cannot understand. Something beautiful, winsome witness in the world. So around here, what do we expect to have happen this year? A lot. So you will not fit this in your blanks, so pick one, whatever you want to do, right? So in February 14 and 15, the leadership of our church, we're launching a strategic planning team from eight in the morning till five in the afternoon for two days. We're going to survey the church. We're going to listen for your input And we're going to roll back out for the next 20 years where we think God is calling us to go. We're going to not do it alone. We're not going to be siloed. We're going to listen. We're going to pray. We're going to work together. And we're going to move forward with what God wants us to do. And then following the city approval uh, on February 24th, uh, our construction team tells us they're going to be here setting up fence and getting ready to turn dirt um, in less than a month. How about that for a new children's building? I mean, we're ready to go. 18,500 square feet to bless the kids of the YMCA, to provide um, rental space for basketball teams, volleyball teams that need it, so desperately need it. Uh, I've got terrible stories of like little five and six-year-old kids trying to find gym space at nine o'clock at night. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. We can help our community with that, and we can provide a new revenue stream for that. We can also provide childcare in the new uh, facility. March 22nd, we're going to confirm new souls in Jesus Christ on Confirmation Sunday. Uh, It's the last Sunday of um, spring break. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the year. March 29th, we're going to have an all-church celebration. We would call it a groundbreaking, but we hope the ground will already be broken by then. So we're just going to see what God's doing. We're going to have a big celebration, so we hope you'll mark that on your calendar. We're going to celebrate all that God is doing. April 12th is Easter. It's a big deal around here, right? So you're going to be a part of that. Uh, And Reverend John is going to graduate in May. Congratulations. That's a big deal. That's going to be a game changer for us. Uh, you should see all the ministry I have dreamed for him for the summer. He's, he's tired already. God bless him. It's good stuff. Now, May 5th through the 15th, uh, the General Conference of the United Methodist Church is going to meet in Minneapolis. Nobody knows what's going to happen. They really don't. There are some protocols and proposals that would give us two or three different expressions of Methodism. Um, that's possible. It may not even get to a vote. If it does come to a vote and it does pass that there are going to be two or three expressions of Methodism, uh, we're going to have our annual conference as a state the next week. More than likely, our bishop told us on Tuesday, there's no way for us to process that information in just a few days. And so more than likely, any sort of action of our state will take place the next year in 2021 or in a called special conference, maybe like in November. So again, I wouldn't expect anything to move quickly, even in May. Because it's going to take time to talk to some 400 churches and all the people and say, okay, where do we go from here? In the meantime, 
the bishop is doing really good work of taking care of everybody, make sure everybody's got a place, and everybody's doing okay. He's super pastoral. We had a really beautiful time here on Tuesday hosting our group. Now, while the folks above us are doing what they do, which we can't control, and, and God is in it, so we're just going to have to leave it at that. While they're doing that, we're going to get to work. We're going to go over to Memphis, and we're going to put roofs on homes of people who need them in West Memphis. We're going to do some racial reconciliation. The kids are going to go to the Civil Rights Museum, and we're going to take our largest group ever um, of high school kids to go change the world with the love of Christ. Amen? And that's what we're doing, right? And then after that, we're going to go to children and youth camps. We're going to host more than 50 kids of the YMCA in June. Then we're going to go to Guatemala. We're going to place our 26th water well there. That's the kind of stuff we're going to be doing. And then we're going to have Bible school. Do not miss Bible school. See Megan. She's ready to go. It's going to be the best three days of your life, and it will feel like the best three years of your life. All right. Then in August, we're going to take our 21st year of Disciple Bible Study. Uh, if you've been through it, you know how powerful that is. And then in December, we're going to place our 27th water well in Guatemala, maybe our 28th, uh, depending on what happens in July. And, and, there's, and there's going to be a lot that happens between August and December. I just didn't, I thought you might be tired of writing by now. I mean, our church is moving, friends. And then in 21, um, it's going to be even more amazing. More good stuff's going to happen. We're going to, that building's going to be done. We're going to be in by Easter. Where's Morgan, right? Morgan says yes. We're going to be in by Easter. Now, this is incredible because what that means is all of a sudden the chapel's free. Can you imagine that? The, the thing, this, our chapel that we've been using for children's space, we won't need to do that anymore. So we're, we're going to have space over here now that we haven't had before. And, and our new assistant uh, youth minister, um, she's going to graduate. Imagine that. we got two people in undergrad right now. They're both going to be out of school. So the sorts of things that can happen after that, only God knows. You look into 2025, we're going to have at least two new revenue streams um, through Jim Rental and through child care um, that we hope ultimately will pay for the actual uh, mortgage on the building itself. Now, what that means is that when we pay down debt and we actually get debt free, we're going to have tens of thousands of dollars pouring into the church every year so we can do more ministry and bless the world. Amen? Right? And people are going to be happy to do it because they need the care. They need the space. It's not like we're shaking them down. They're like, please let us do this. We need, we need your help. And we're like, fine. And they're going to help us do more ministry so we can be catalytic. And not only that, because we now have that space, we'll be able to add additional worship options because we can now run worship services in the chapel. We can worship in the gym. We can worship here. So we currently have three worship services. By 2025, we should have four or five at least and continue to grow without having to build, without having to have another capital campaign. Amen. I knew I'd get an amen on that one, right? So there's a lot of ministry to be done that we can do uh, because of what God's been doing. And then in 2030, uh, 10 years from now, I'll be 62 and I will be tired. And so we need to be in earnest about succession planning. Who will be the second pastor of Acts 2? Um, because currently, in our current system, mandatory retirement's at 72. And so I would only have 10 years left at that point. I've got 20 today, but by then I'll only have 10. And we'll need to figure out, well, what does the Lord want to do from 2030 to 2050? And who's going to do that? Because it won't be me. Not from 70. I'm not working until 92. So I love you, but not at 92. So as we do this, we have to remember who we are. Remember who you are. How has God made you? Look back over your life and see the unique things that God has placed in your life. And as you do that, you really only know who you are as you remember who we are. 
Whoever your we is in your life. I hope it includes your church. You know who you are because of who we are. And we know who we are because of who you are. It works together. And the thing I hope you always remember is this. That you are the beloved of God. And so this week I hope you'll start your day and end your day. Simply with these words. If you'll read it with me. I am the beloved of God. That changes everything. If you remember that you really are loved. And so is everybody else that you know. You really are. So I want to invite you to close this series with me uh, with this prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give you control again this day of our lives and of this, your church. Do with us as you please. Bring to us whom you please. Send us to whomever you please. Make us more like you. Empower us by your spirit. Guide us by your word, Jesus Christ. Comfort us with your presence. Teach us again your love for all creation. As we come to your table today, we remember that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. Let us celebrate this fact, not just for ourselves, but for every creature on the planet. In Jesus' mighty name, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.